Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm Joe. And we have Dayu Yang of Cody Storytelling Robot. Um... His company's Pillar Learning, Season 12, Episode 8, December 11th of 2020, so relatively recent. Yep. And this storytelling robot, it's, uh, as he says, great for children. It's a social robot. It's better than screen time. Um, and he asked $500,000 for 10%. Right. So really curious, you know, the interview and, and, and the aftermath of this one will be, be fun to cover. Um, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old at home. That is built like a six-year-old. <laughs> he is big, but either way, he falls within their ages of one to seven. Yeah. I I am going to you know when we did this interview at the time, he was a little too young, but now he's the right age. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him one of these things. I'm really excited to see it in action. Um, nine, 99.99 was retail price, mm-hmm. and uh, the cost to make one was twenty five seventy six. Decent so, so I'll, well, I'll set, I'm going to send them twenty five seventy six and see if we'll get <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll, send I'll tell them you, the ninety nine. I'll tell you this: we have, you, we have we have bought a lot of the products of of the great entrepreneurs that we've interviewed yes. on here, and um, you know some of them have been generous enough to send us something or to you know give us a discount code or whatever. But I, I would never. I, I have a you're probably different, but I don't like <laughs> I don't like bargaining with people. When somebody says I, I this either. is their price, I, yeah. I especially entrepreneurs, I, I obviously I respect that. And I think that, you know, it's important that, you know, whatever someone charges their product, you have a decision to make yes or no, but ultimately, you know, you shouldn't be negotiating. So I, I say that kidding around, but I I, I you know, I, I have seen entrepreneurs try to bargain with other entrepreneurs and I said, Do you want people doing that to you? Why don't you just pay them whatever they charge? Yeah. I, you know, we we do a lot of business with entrepreneurs that help us in our business, and whatever the invoice is, we pay it yeah. and we respect it. And I, I just I don't, don't want to beat people up. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, uh, twenty five hundred units sold at the time of uh, him going inside the tank. Uh, primarily was done through Facebook and Instagram ads. Uh, he's estimating. 16 million of sales in 2021. Yeah. Uh, pretty wild. So yeah. $5 million valuation, but only 2,500 units sold. Big discrepancy there, yeah. but he seems pretty confident in where he's taking He was business. confident of an inflection point for sure. Yep. And so, uh, interesting. All the sharks were out initially, originally. Lori just felt that it was just brutal. And, and a lot of them talked about the competitive nature of that little space and niche, but Lori Toys, was out. kids, yeah, retail. Robert said, "My, you know, my kids will love it for two hours, and they'll get bored with it." That was his take originally. See, and I, I couldn't disagree more with that because there are certain toys, not every toy, obviously, but there are certain toys my kid has that I mean, you you can't yank it away from him. I mean, there's a car that makes noise that goes around. There's certain books he has. I mean, there's certain things he has. So if you hit a home run on a toy. It's hours and hours and hours of enjoyment. So I actually, I think that's a really stupid statement. Yeah, well, it, it, and hold that thought for a second. Uh, Mr. Wonderful uh, was worried about the competitive nature of the industry as well. He oh, was out fair. Cuban, um, you know, not sold on the scalability of the business, competitive nature. Barb was out. She said, she made the comment, you're never going to make money. <laughs> so she really put herself out there. And then Robert came back in. And he said, I really believe in you guys. And something changed. That Dayu said something or demonstrated something that changed Robert's mind. And he came back in and he offered uh, $500,000 for 25% of the, the company. And uh, on the show, that deal was, uh, was agreed upon. All right. Well, let's get into our interview. All right. We're here with Dayu of Pillar Learning and the uh, storyteller robot, yeah. Cody. Cody. <laughs> I have yes. a seven-month-old, so maybe a little young for Cody, but uh, looking forward to uh, to getting one and uh, trying it out on him. 
Anything that to keep him occupied, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. In a responsible way as well. You know, that's the whole point of Cody. Well, we, In a good we, and responsible way. Yeah, we're not, uh, we're probably not the best parents, but we try to monitor the iPad screen time. So I think that's, that's what I found really appealing about this mm -hmm. is it's, something other than jamming an iPad in front of them for hours and hours and hours. Exactly. Exactly. And then we found, uh, you know, younger kids, they, they love Cody, something that's engaging and they spend time with and doesn't have a screen. It's kind of amazing actually how well it works. <laughs> so start off at the beginning because you know, your, your pitch on the show didn't cover a ton of this, but I want to know where the idea for this came from and, and the formation of the product. Yeah, so um, I, I grew up in technology. I grew up in California, and I always worked in technology. And uh, I just had this, this, this feeling that there's so much cool technology out, out there these days, especially smart technology, smart speakers, right? And uh, there was just not much for kids in terms of like, you know, something like that in terms of like cutting edge technology like that. Kids were still a lot playing with either traditional toys or they're playing with iPads, which obviously screens and stuff have their own downsides as well. And, you know, uh, I and my co-founders, we just kind of just realized that, hey, there's so much great technology these days. Why don't we figure out how to apply it in a good and responsible way for children? You know, one of the things that I want to do, you know, so my experience, uh, uh, you know, I, I was in business before I was in a consultant at the Boston Consulting Group. And uh, I just wanted to do something that was not only a good business idea, but also something that was beneficial for the world. And we just kind of thought, what is better? What is more beneficial for the world, especially over the long term, uh, other than like, if we can actually improve uh, you know, kind of a child's development at home, right? Because that's something that has high leverage benefits down the line. So that's where we came to this idea. And I think it was kind of a perfect timing as well, where smart toy, smart uh, home technology has developed uh, to a state where, you know, you can kind of like develop something from it without kind of fixing it, like figuring out all the deep technology. And, um, and yeah, you know, it, it was just the right time. We just really felt like we wanted to use this new type of technology in a more responsible way. Like kids were already kind of interacting with stuff like Amazon Echo and things like that. However, there were, there were some issues with like kids would say something they wouldn't understand and it kind of get, you know, the, you know, the wrong, the wrong responses and things like that. So this is kind of where we came up with this idea and uh, my uh, co-founder as well, he was in toys. So we just, you know, felt like being able to create something that is not just provides good content for children, uses a uh, smart home technology, but actually make it into a super cute toy. And uh, it's, uh, it's durable. Uh, it has like nice soft outfits and something that kids actually love. And it's one of the things that we actually made sure that we, we did beforehand is that we got prototypes. We went into families and we made sure that kids actually like playing with this thing. And that's what's most important, right? Because if, if you buy something for your child and they, they, they just don't you know, play with it, they don't like use it, then it doesn't really matter. It's kind of a waste of money for the family, right? So that's kind of where he came up with his idea. And in the future as well, this is kind of where Cody is definitely not our only product that we have planned, especially in the future. Our general goal is how do we just leverage technology, new technology, cutting edge technology in just more responsible ways to entertain our children, but in a, again, like more educational developmentally focused way. And that's something that, you know, we're, we're definitely looking forward to as pillar learning as a company. So pillar learning will continue to provide technology related tools for children. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that the point is that you know, there's a, uh, you know, we're not trying to push technology, you know, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. And I don't think parents care too much about it, but it's more of like taking what's good, what's available and applying it in the right way and applying a way where it's like, we're not trying to figure out like the next big tech breakthrough. That's not what we're trying to do, but we're just taking what is mature, what is good already, and then packaging it in a way and making sure that it's good for children. Makes, makes sense. I, I'm curious about the, as we look at Cody on the show or maybe today and then go back to maybe the first rough iteration, can you tell us a little bit about how Cody changed from what you originally thought um, it would look like to what it became and what input you got uh, from parents? Yeah, so actually we, um, 
we really took a customer family centric approach to it. Even at the beginning, uh, we ran a lot of surveys. Like we, I think at the start, we sketched out maybe like 60 different designs or something like that. Wow. <laughs> and we sent surveys out. We, uh, you know, talked to as many friends with, with, with kids as possible. And it's like, which ones do you like? You know, and, and you know, these are just drawings at first, right? Uh, but actually, that was super helpful, right? Because like, you know, it actually made it clear that uh, it, it was actually very, very clear that eventually like the, you know, something that looked actually very much like Cody uh, became like a clear winner. Uh, the only thing that was missing was an antenna, actually. We actually added the antenna later. I love the antenna. That was a cute little thing, you know, because it's kind of like, uh, we don't suggest that kids put it in their mouths, but it is food safe. And like, you know, some parents call it kind of a nice tea there as well. Uh, but but we, we don't necessarily suggest that, but it's definitely non-toxic. Uh, but yeah, you know, actually we, you know, in some ways, maybe we were lucky, but I think that we made that luck as well, right? Because we got so much feedback that when we got an actual prototype, it wasn't really working. It was kind of maybe just a speaker at the time that when we started showing it around to young kids, like they just started liking it. Like we actually did some experiments when uh, we were using just a normal speaker or Amazon Echo and then Cody kind of playing the same thing. And then kids would actually like, you know, listen to Cody. And it, it was actually like, like one of the, the more magical moments when we first started was when we realized that like when a young child, like they would accidentally knock Cody over and then they would, they would like pick Cody up again. You know, it, it was kind of like, it, it was, it was like an entity to them. Right. And that's part of the point, right? I mean, the, the, the point is obviously it's not to replace parenting or anything like that, but the point is that this is something that's special. I mean, if you imagine a younger child, like something like Cody is like, it almost seems like real alive to them, right? And obviously we have to take some responsibility in that, right? Because, you know, it, it, there could be some dangers in that as well. But, you know, I think that it also has a benefit of if, if like, oh, well, I have Cody right here, actually, you know, if, uh, you know, if uh, kids really love this form factor, they are going to engage with it. And then, so, yeah, you know, so actually at the end, I mean, uh, the only couple things that we actually changed at the end was like uh, the button layout, maybe, because at first the button layout was not perfect for kids' uh, fingers. And then we kind of changed that around. But really other than that, like there was very little change from our first prototype. But again, like, I don't necessarily think we got totally lucky. I think we just like took a lot of time and effort and made sure that like, even before we spent too many resources on a real prototype, which has made sure that we got as much feedback as possible. But, but I think there's a great, great lesson here because in your sketch work, in your artist rendition, you went from 60, probably my guess is to down under a dozen. And then you narrowed it down from there and you did all that work before you guys, just the three of you and your very intelligent guys. But before you fell in love with something, you did a lot of testing. So when you were doing the prototype, the prototype was very close to what the finished product looked like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's a really good point. I mean, that that probably applies to a lot of other things in business is that you can fall in love with an idea, with a goal, but never fall idea, fall in love with anything too specific, right? Because you just don't know, especially for a consumer product. Uh, if you feel too strongly about how something should be exactly how you think it should be, then that could be actually detrimental because no one is exactly like you. And I would argue that a lot of people aren't exactly like you. So uh, once you have an idea and you put it into like as real as possible, obviously there's a balance, right? Because, um, you know, well, so, so after the sketches, we actually also did some 3D renderings as well. Right. So like that made it somewhat more real as well. So there is a point where it's like, you definitely want to test, as many um, options as possible, as cheaply as possible before you start putting down for the much more expensive steps of prototyping and manufacturing. I want to ask you, so you're obviously an entrepreneur and I'm guessing that didn't just happen recently, but you've always been an entrepreneur and, and entrepreneurial. So how did it feel when you were at the Boston Consulting Group did you feel like a caged animal at all? Like, <laughs> I want to build my own business? Or did you walk into there thinking this is going to be a two-year learning period, and then I'm going to start something? I'm just really curious about that. Oh, it's great, actually. You know, you, uh, you probably have a pretty good idea of how, uh, how consultants tend to think sometimes. But, but yeah, you're actually exactly right. You know, it wasn't that I didn't. I, I loved working there. It was, uh, it was a great learning experience. But that's exactly how I thought of it. Like I, I've always wanted to build something 
uh, whether it's a product or a company and bring some direct value to the world. Uh, and I saw BCG as a way to just, it, like, I, I almost saw it as finishing school, basically, right? Like, I think that it was a great opportunity. And to me, at least, I mean, maybe not everyone, but to me, at least, I just felt like if I want to do something right, I also felt like I had the, I had the responsibility to make sure that I learned and have all the skill sets in terms of like business knowledge to actually make sure that I set myself up for success. Right. Because I do think that um, no fault anyone's own, you know, like, uh, you know, some entrepreneurs, I think they have great, amazing ideas and they might have great product market fit. But then, you know, once once it comes to the scaling part, like kind of building a real business out of it, that's when it becomes more difficult. So, you know, maybe I took the little bit less less risky approach and more, you know, risk averse approach. I just kind of went the opposite way. Hey, like I just wanted to learn about business as much as possible so that once I have something that works, I just, you know, have an idea what to do already. I, I can't pretend that I know everything in business, but at least I have the framework and the thought process to learn what to do. And uh, it's definitely been very beneficial. Uh, but I love the experience there. You know, I definitely didn't feel like I was caged, but it was probably also because I kind of knew that two years later, I was going to do something else. Yeah, you, you had, you created a light at the end of the tunnel. So it yeah. wasn't a, you're going to wake up and be 50 years here. old and go, <laughs> oh, what happened? Where did the time go? You, you kind of knew, hey, I'm here to learn. I'm going to embrace this. But at some point, there's going to be a next move. So uh, Shark Tank, what was the experience like for you? What happened, you know, during that experience and what were those first couple of days afterwards like? Yeah, it was a, it was a, a crazy experience actually, you know, so you guys probably know, I can't tell too many details about it, but I'll tell as much as I can. That's kind of like more publicly available. Uh, but kind of starting the start, we never thought we were going to be at Shark Tank at first. So, so there's two ways to get on Shark Tank. One is that you apply and the other way is that they somehow find you. And uh, we, we just didn't really think about Shark Tank. I mean, I love Shark Tank, but I, I wasn't really thinking about like Shark Tank was going to be a step in my business. And what happened was that we were at a conference. It was the uh, Consumer Electronics Show, CES, and we had a booth and uh, a couple folks with Shark Tank t-shirts came up to us like, hey, like, we love your product. You want to be on Shark Tank? And at first we were like, you guys are joking, right? Like, you're like, like, is this how this works? Uh, but hey, yeah, you know, give your our emails. And then lo and behold, like, I think it was like a week later, like, uh, they contacted us and we we're like, wow, like, the entire time, we kind of like, didn't really believe it still. But then just more and more, like, we went through the process, like, okay, someone, did you think someone was punking you a really, really good practical job? I mean, at first, we actually did. But then eventually, it was like, these guys are spending way too much time on this. And like, you know, obviously, they, they seem to be serious. And like, you know, so, so eventually we believed it and then it became real. Right. And then it's like, Hey, Shark Tank could actually be part of our business plans. Right. Well, it, it's not, it shouldn't even be part of your business plan, but it, it's like part, part of like, uh, down the road, potentially somewhere. Right. And then, and then that's when we really started taking it seriously. Now, Obviously, like at the time, like we had no idea, you know, we, we were going to get a deal or even had a chance to get a deal, but the money would obviously be nice. I mean, especially for any kind of hardware product, like more money is always nice. You always need more money for hard products. You have to invest in inventory and things like that. So that was definitely nice. But the other thing that we obviously realized is that this was also one of the ways to get news out to the world, to get families to know about us, right? Whether we got a deal or not but obviously we're aiming for the deal. So we started spending a lot of time preparing. You know, we, we watched a lot of Shark Tank before, but not in the same way. Like we, then we started like, you know, kind of figuring out all the types of questions they could ask. We just started preparing over and over and over again. And like kind of leading up to the actual uh, pitch, like we, <laughs> we were preparing so much that we almost felt sick. Like it was, it was, it was just kind of like just uh, preparing everything possible, like 10 different times until it was absolutely perfect. Like knowing our business in and out. And I have to tell you, you know, we know our business, but the thing is like, when you have to pitch, whether it's for Shark Tank or investors, for example, like you have to know your business almost in a different way, right? You have to know like every single detail you have to like understand how to articulate it as well. And kind of like sell the story, sell your plans, and all very concisely as well. You know, that's actually quite difficult. You know, I mean, we, we realized it was quite difficult. And then we were on the pitch. And I think that uh, this is probably public knowledge already. Like the pitch itself 
is longer than the actual airing, obviously. And uh, we, uh, there are a lot of questions and we came well prepared. You know, we did not stumble. Uh, anyone seen the show or, you know, seen our episode uh, probably noticed that even Mr. Wonderful didn't get us to stumble. You know, we're quite proud of that actually. <laughs> you know, we answered all the questions really, really well. And well, unfortunately, like, you know, so what happened was that they loved us and generally speaking, like they loved our answers. And I think they felt really good about like what we're talking about, our plans, our vision, and just the pure business. However, unfortunately, most of the, they just felt iffy about investing in a toy. And that's understandable, right? Like, you know, uh, I know a couple of them were, were you know, in, were in the toy industry investing in toys before and then didn't do really well. So it was very much of like, we love you guys. Like we like what you're saying, but I don't know if I want to invest in a toy right now. Right. And obviously as that was happening, it was kind of disheartening because, you know, everything was going really, really well. And everyone started going out and, uh, you know, every single time someone went out, obviously it was a little bit of disappointment, but we kept going. We stayed strong. We never lost our cool. And at one point, everyone was out. And at this point, like uh, my co-founders and, and, and myself were kind of thinking, like, I mean, we didn't even talk to each other, but we just kept going because like the way it works is that like, there's a lot of questions yeah. and then there's a lot of questions that, that like, you right. know, like people that they talk over each other. So we were like, you know what? Let's think about like why we're here in the first place. It sounds like we may not get a deal, but you know what? Like we might be on TV. So let's continue to tell our story to the world. Let's continue in a respectful way to answer some of these questions that were very, very important. And uh, at some point, you know, Mr. Wonderful was like, hey, what are you guys, like, what are you guys doing here? Like you guys, you guys need to go, right? Uh, and then that's, you know, that's when uh, Robert came in and, uh, you know, we, done the deal. And from my understanding, uh, at least at that point, it's, I don't think it's ever happened before, at least in that way where everyone went out and then, uh, a shark came back in. So I, you, I have not, I have not seen it. I've not seen everyone. I, I believe one time, um, and it may have been Damon kind of ran into the hallway after someone. Oh, but, really? Yeah. It was a little, oh, that would have been cool for us actually. I'll have to try and find it. I think it was a while ago, but yeah, yours was, you know, with them playing the music and it was, it certainly made for good television. Um, so the, but the reasons when Lori says, Hey, this is so competitive, the costs are brutal. She's thinking toy business. Yeah. Now, was it, that's what I wanted to ask you. Was it all related to being a toy business or did the fact that it was also hardware and electronics also hurt you as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all of that together, yeah. probably. Right. You know, I think that uh, it, it, it is a tough business. And the other thing is that it is relatively new of a space, right? Like, you know, when parents think about what to buy their children, they don't think about, oh, what's the next smart toy? that that's coming out right so it's not on top of mind so there is that level of education that that is needed and it's still needed which is actually why like you know this uh this airing was so important for us because it really kind of got that word out that this you know this a cody is something that is here right now it's possible and it's good for you uh so yeah i mean like you know hardware is definitely hard you know i know that for sure you know uh like right now like i mean you know Trailer learning is, is doing well, especially after Shark Tank, obviously, but it, it, it's, you know, like for a couple of years, it's kind of just chugging along, you know, like we're not like, you know, where, where we're selling, we have the servers up, but so far it hasn't, or, you know, up to this point, it hasn't really blown up. I mean, I think that this year might be a little bit different or next couple of years might be a little bit different. Right. Um, and uh, it is definitely, definitely tough. However, I think it's just one of those things where I personally believe that the tougher something is, and like, you know, the, the less that someone else or the competition wants to be in the space, the more worthwhile it is. And potentially, if you can really get over that hump and kind of do something that other people can or aren't willing to do, then that's potentially actually where you can have something really great, uh, both in terms of like the, you know, the success in terms of product and obviously financial success in the future as well. Tell us a little bit about your experience at CES. Uh, you know, what stage of the business were you in when you went there? 
what else happened other than, you know, getting recruited to Shark Tank that was interesting? Yeah, see, yes, uh, that was, uh, I believe that was like, it was almost like a pre-launch, I believe, you know, it was like, uh, we didn't really, I, I think we just like, uh, we, we just finished our manufacturing run, you know, we started selling some units, but we weren't, I mean, that was kind of our like literal, like public launch, basically. Okay. And uh, we had a small little booth, you know, it wasn't kind of like a big, sexy booth. It was kind of one of those ones in the startup area, but it was nice. It was nice and cozy. And it, it was really exciting, actually, because I mean, especially being in that area, actually, because there were a lot of passionate founders around as well. You know, a lot of really cool new products um, and, uh, you know, some uh, are, are, you know, probably will be really big and some like may not be, but still like you could just kind of feel the passion because like, I think as an entrepreneur, especially for hardware, I think that you need a certain level of passion and grit and dedication. I mean, I remember, uh, the first, uh, Cody production run, I was, uh, I was literally on the factory floor. It was Thanksgiving, uh, because like, I want to make sure Well, I, I was in China for Thanksgiving. So that was one thing. I mean, I, I was supposed to go home for Thanksgiving, but then uh, things got a little bit delayed. So I delayed my flight, missed Thanksgiving with my wife, uh, spent Thanksgiving with my partner, uh, uh, with my factory partner. He bought me a nice steak. So that was kind of nice, I guess, but, but it was still not at home. And we, uh, yeah, I mean, I was there supporting production. The hardware is hard. I mean, the, it's a little bit unpredictable. Production is not always perfect and it does require a little bit and sometimes a lot of just active, like handhold, active care, active pushing to make sure things even stick on schedule. But, you know, we did it. I mean, from, from the actual like prototyping to the actual production run, uh, it took something like eight months or so, which was, which is actually very, very fast for hardware. Uh, but I mean, it, you know, it's also just because, you know, we work with great people, we work with great partners. And uh, it's also one of the benefits as, as well, by the way. And this is kind of where I mentioned before is that like, the point is that we're not pushing the envelopes of technology here. We're taking what's available and, and adapting it to a different use case, right? And that made it a lot easier, right? Because smart home technology was already there. So all we really have to do is to make it so that it's actually a toy and it's kid friendly and develop the content and make it safe and private and anything like that. Uh, now it's still, it's still quite difficult. Don't get me wrong. I think eight months is still pretty fast for that. However, you know, that's actually, you know, one of the benefits of not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? Like not, not trying to like everything you do, trying to like push the envelope, right? Um, you can get a lot of success and bring a lot of value by just developing great products from what is already available and out there. Yeah, I'd imagine you need to be using technology that people are familiar with and understand. So you're not, you know, you're looking at something that maybe came out three echoes ago, right? And, and so then they, oh, hey, I understand how to use the app. I understand mm -hmm. the various pieces of it. You being cutting edge and over the top, it would be extremely expensive and difficult to do. And I'd argue it would hurt sales because the product would be so confusing. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah, I agree. So your price point was $99. You're making them for about 25. You had mentioned on there, maybe being able to monetize some type of an add on, hey, I can, you know, for $5 or $20 or whatever in the app, buy additional stories or whatever that might look like. Has anything changed since airing? If, if you modified any of that? Or is that still the business model? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, we, we definitely are exploring different things as well. You know, I think that this whole idea of being able to have a subscription or, or, or sell content, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of like a smart home model as well, right? Uh, you know, that obviously is a standard business model. Um, and it's something that we definitely want to consider. The one of the things that we kind of adjusted um, as well, is that, you know, th through this process, one of the things that we really felt was one of the most fulfilling things about working on this product is how much joy and how much benefits it brings to the family. So, you know, we are starting to plan for just more free content, uh, you know, every month, a couple of pieces of new like songs or stories. Uh, and then when we think about like how we monetize that, we want to do it in a way that maybe we're considering, for example, uh, you can get these stories for free and then we can publish some, let's say, read along books. 
right? And the books, like you, well, I mean, it's it, it's more it's it's more obvious that you have to pay for a book, right? Where I think that you know, like even adult consumers, they kind of don't like to kind of like you know pay for stuff after they buy something, right? But then if we have like you know this kind of add-on read-along book. And that kind of like creates this nice balance, right? We can continue to deliver uh, additional free content, additional uh, to bring more value to the family, especially for those who can't really afford it. I mean, some, some, some families, they can't just afford to keep buying this stuff, but we don't want to like leave them out. However, obviously there is a lot of benefits to say you can actually read along and you can have these pack of books as well. And we sell that for additional fees. So that's something we're thinking about. Uh, we're always thinking about more outfits, you know, I think that uh, families and kids love these outfits and, you know, we're continuing to plan for, for outfits that some are cute. Well, we hope they're all cute actually, you know, but then, you know, we uh, launched stuff like a firefighter and like a doctor outfit set, you know, the like, like occupation. We're thinking we have about the like Cody as the village people, one of, one of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot we can do there. And then I think that, you know, there is definitely an effect where like, you know, kids might like to change the outfits and, you know, kind of play with them. And then maybe in the future, we develop content for them as well. And then one other thing that we're pretty excited about that we're, we're currently in plans for is that we want to develop a concept of a Cody Jr. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, like a, a, a placeholder name, but, but actually maybe that's the name, you know, Cody Jr. is something that is smaller and cheaper and it, it doesn't really have like too much technology, like it doesn't have an app, whatever, but it's for like, you know, a, a two-year-old or, you know, seven months old even, you know, something soft and, and plays music, plays content uh, that a much younger child can hug and uh, fall asleep to. And you can also use it to, you know, kind of like tell good stories for younger folks as well. And I think that that is something that can do very, very well, because that's something that we, we can obviously offer at a much lower price point as well. And, uh, you know, maybe like, you know, $50, $40, or potentially even cheaper as well. And I think that that still brings value to the families. And, you know, maybe they'll grow up and actually buy a, you know, Cody or Cody Senior or whatever. Question on price point. Um, I know you guys are so sharp, you must have done some research um, on price point originally, and maybe you're doing that again for Cody Jr. Can you tell us a little bit about how you go about how you price Cody and how you're going to go about pricing Cody Jr. What are some of the methods you use to find that right price point? Yeah, sure. Uh, so again, a survey, you know, we actually uh, just <laughs> included that as part of all, uh, we had a couple of surveys with just a lot of questions around what is the value proposition? So actually everything that is in code, all the Cody's features, that was all prioritized based on real parent feedback, hundreds of parents. Like we had a whole list of potential features, like much more than we than, than than Cody currently has. But the thing is, with any kind of product, it's always a balance between the feature set or the the the, the broadest the feature set, where the amount of functions and the price point, right? Because every every single feature you add is going to add cost to it. So this is where we had parents prioritize, you know, the things that they think are more important. And then we also asked them some questions about the price point as well. Like, what would you pay for something like this? And like, you know, roughly like, I mean, it was like kind of roughly like a hundred, uh, 120-ish uh, dollars is kind of like, you know, kind of the sweet point, right? So then, you know, this is kind of where we then work backwards in terms of our production and uh, design and figure out, okay, well, how can we make this happen? How can we just hit this price point? And have as many features as possible. And that's how we found that balance. So we have the right balance between what is actually compelling in terms of features and also at a reasonable price point, not something that's gonna cost $300, which I know that, you know, some more complicated robotics and like kind of like, you know, other smart toys are probably more in that uh, price point as well. And there's also a lower price point. Uh, well, I mean, at some point, I guess like, uh, I don't know where you start not calling it a smart toy anymore, you know, but there's every kind of like toys out there where it's much cheaper, but obviously much less functionality as well. So it's, it's finding that balance is important, but again, like that balance should not be determined by you or, or me rather, you know, not just the entrepreneur, because I, I think that no one, no matter how good they are um, as an entrepreneur, like no one has perfect gut feel, right? You can't just depend on gut feel. You can have a direction, but it's really the actual feedback from customers that really matters.
you you just made the you just made the point that I was going to make, but I think it's it's worth repeating. You know, you and your partners are far smarter than the average entrepreneur, okay? <laughs> the average person walking on this earth, and that's that's a that's a compliment. But it's here's the important part: despite you being very intelligent and knowing you're very intelligent, you made no assumptions. You didn't say, hey, we're smarter than these parents. We're going to make a $300 high-end product and here's what it's going to be. And then no one buys it. <laughs> and then you have a bunch of excuses. What you guys said is, no, we're, we're going to kind of make a prototype and then we're going to be smart enough to go to parents. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you want to see? Prioritize. And then you use that data to create the product. So again, you didn't think you could outsmart parents with your gut. You went through a very deliberate process and that's a big lesson. Yeah, I, I appreciate, appreciate that. I mean, that's so important. But, well, uh, it's funny enough, actually, my first idea was a hologram. Um, so, you know, that, you know, uh, people quickly told me that that's not possible. You know, something like, you know, in like a uh, Star Wars kind of thing, you know? So, so yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, I think that is, uh, Definitely really, really important. I mean, you know, whether it's this product or a software product or, you know, really any kind of business, right? You know, the thing about a hardware product is that you don't have the luxury of being able to iterate after it's out. I mean, you can, but like, you know, like, like you have to like just launch a second generation or something like that. Whereas obviously like for a hard, uh, for a software product, like it, 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 it's a little bit or a lot easier. You can develop an MVP really quickly, uh, maybe months or weeks if you're really good, you know, something really simple. And then you kind of just test data that way. So we don't have the luxury to do that. However, you have to find some way to do it. You know, I think, it, you know, if, if, you, if you don't do it, then you're just running blind, you know, like always have to run on data, whether it's for the product or business processes or anything like that. What's your vision for this company? Yeah. So I think that, um, uh, yeah, we, uh, I mean, I do think that we definitely want to continue to improve Cody. I mean, one of the good, good things about Cody actually is that it, it, it is hardware, but it has, it has a software and content element as well. Right. So this is something that even though like Cody like doesn't change after you buy it, uh, we we always update new content and we can update more features and kind of more interactions. So this is something that we're definitely going to do. And then we're going to talk about some product line extensions as well. But I think that the the primary vision that we have more of kind of like, okay, like 10 years in the future, where does like where do you want to end up? You know, pill learning. You know, I just we just want to be the company that develops technology in a responsible way for, for children. That's really it, you know, push. And, and the thing is like, it's kind of a vague kind of statement. I know, but the thing is, I don't know what technology is going to be two years from now. Right. Like, I don't know what that's going to be, but the point is that like, we're not necessarily developing the technology, but we're going to be taking what is out there. And it could be not for children at all. I can, it could be for like medicine, whatever it might be. And whatever it is in the next two years, and the next five years, let's figure it out. Let's continue to be, let's continue to explore and be open to see what kinds of technologies can we actually adapt in a different way. And this is where we want to continue to, to be doing. So like the products that we have 10 years from now, I have no idea, you know, but I imagine that it's going to be a little bit similar to the idea of Cody, where it's going to be relatively new technology at the time, at least uh, mature technology, safe technology, but adapted in a way that is great for children. Well, and you, you're so well versed in this, you know, because of your education, your experience as an entrepreneur, but I think sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes people think that every innovative idea is brand new technology. A lot of times it's simply taking something and adapting it to a different sector, industry, or use case. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's great, actually. You know, I think that, you know, some people might almost look down on that. It's like, oh, you're not doing anything too innovative. But I, I don't think that's the case at all because, um, well, I mean, if you're really developing, if you're really, so my wife is a professor, you know, she's academic. If you're really pushing the envelopes, you should probably be in, in academia and like developing the underlying technology and science behind things. Right. But uh, unless you're doing that, like no matter how innovative you are, I think that the really successful products, the products that actually bring value are the ones that even the innovative ones. 
they're most likely still synthesizing from various pieces, right? You know, I think that they might not be completely just taking a piece and doing something else with it, but they're still like inspired by foundations from elsewhere as well. You know, so I think that this whole idea of like doing something new, well, I think that definitely some entrepreneurs are going to want to do that. I mean, some people are just passionate about just like, I want to do something completely new. I want to do something complicated, right? I want to push the envelope. And that's totally fine. Though I think that for me, at least, I think that the, the, the most important driving factor for what I do, and I think what's important for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs is just the value you bring, right? You know, whether you, you actually care about the value itself or you just want to make money, right? Because the thing is, that's how the world works. Like who makes money? On average, it's most likely the people who actually bring value to people. And those are the people who get paid, right? So whether you care just about the value or you care about just the money, they're all the same, right? So what actually brings value to people? No one really cares about like if you're building new technology as no one has seen, you know, no one, no one cares about that until it's something they can use, until it's something that's actually useful. And that is, if you care about money, that's going to be what makes you money in the you know, like at the end anyways. Final question. Uh, where is the best place for people to buy Cody and where can they follow you on social media? Yeah. So, uh, just visit our website, pillarlearning.com. We're also on Amazon as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, so we're online right now. Uh, and, uh, this year we're definitely planning to get into more retail channels. Obviously COVID did a little bit of a slowdown in the retail space, but we're definitely planning to go on retail, but right now we're just online and we have a Facebook page as well. So just follow us at the pillar lane, uh, pillar learning Facebook page. And, uh, and yeah, you know, so check us out. You know, I think that, uh, I, I obviously think that we have a great product, but I don't, only say that uh, just because I believe it, but we literally have parents who tell us that Cody has just changed their kids' behaviors. Like, you know, like some of the, you know, so, so I still actually answer phone calls uh, from some customers. Actually, you know, when you start a small business, uh, sometimes I, like I started, I started a small business. I put my phone number on the LLC at first and now it's, it's somewhere in the public records. I don't even know where it is, but sometimes customers actually call me. It's like, Hey, I have a problem with Cody. It's like, Oh, you, you're the CEO. I'm sorry. I'm calling you. But no, I, I, I love talking to customers because, you know, even if they have a problem, you know, they tell us like, Hey, like. I, my child loves Cody for some reason, like, you know, like the battery's not charging correctly. I mean, sometimes it happens with electronic products, but my child is like crying because it's been like six months and like, you know, she, she just loves Cody and she's missing Cody's stories and everything like that. And just hearing stuff like that really just makes us feel like that, you know, just economics aside, sales aside, it just makes us feel like we have a good product. No matter how many we sell, no matter how much revenue we make, we bring value to families and, you know, even one family that we bring value to, that's already good enough for us. But, you know, obviously we brought value to a lot of families and that makes us very happy and it makes us driven to continue this process and continue to add value with Cody and other products beyond. Well, what, what I like is, is you really are a purpose-driven company and you, your mission to me is, is very clear. It's, it's not vague at all. It's, you know, you want to better the life of a child. And I, you know, I think having that purpose behind it is huge. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I think I was in business for a while before this, you know, and at some point it becomes, uh, I personally felt it became a little bit empty without the purpose. And this just makes it more fun. You know, uh, I think I make much less money doing this than when I was in business for now, at least, you know, but that's not the point. That's not the point. You know, I think that at a certain point, you know, it's, it's, it's the purpose and fulfillment that really matters. And, uh, well, obviously, you know, a couple of years from now, five years from now, who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe making a lot more doing this, but that's not, you know, that's not the main driving factor. Like I said, it's the value we bring and the money comes afterwards anyways. Well, I'm going to buy Cody for my son. His, his, uh, first birthday is coming up soon. So it'll be about the time he can start using it. And if all goes well, he'll love Cody. And then my wife will stop ignoring me. <laughs> we'll keep him busy. And then maybe she'll sit down and, and talk to me and, and, and we can resume our relationship. No, no, I, I, I kid, I kid, but, uh, no, this is, this is so cool. I, uh, I'm so pumped to see 
the next couple products and where this company goes. And, and my guess is, you know, with the way technology changes, we have no idea what's going to happen, but you're going to continue to do good. And that's awesome. So, Dayu, we so appreciate your time and uh, look forward to staying in touch and seeing you succeed and do great things for kids. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're back. Post game. What do you got? Before post game, I just want to make sure everyone knows we have this great book on Amazon that we wrote together. I wrote most of it. Uh, I let Tom throw in a thought here or there. It's called Entrepreneurial Landmines, about 80% my work. It's a fantastic book, and 90% of it is, is uh, from my background and experience. And when Joe and I are on <laughs> Zoom calls all day, he does 80 to 90% of the talking. So. No, all kidding aside, it's a great book, 50-50 effort. I would say 100%, 100% effort. Uh, we've gotten many laudits for the book. We give it to you free. How do they get it? Outsidethetank.com. Yeah, it's easy. And we'll give you a free Kindle version, Audible version. We, we could be more generous in the gift of our collective wisdom. Anyway, let's do the post game. Christmas year round. <laughs> what do you have for us? A uh, couple things. First of all, the, the, the Sharks, during the filming, talked about the competitive nature of the business, how tough the space was. And it was interesting because Dayu said, you know, tough is okay with me. I like a tough industry because it weeds people out. And I thought yep. that was an interesting perspective. I thought that was the right perspective. Love if you're going to be in a tough business space, look at it and say, I'm going to tough it out. We're in a tough business space, I think. We're in a competitive space uh, with the work that we do inside of Growth 10. Uh, but we like the fact that if you do the work at a high level, if you uh, provide great value to your, uh, to your client, your, your customer, you will rise to the top and it will weed all the other competitors out. So there's that and there's, uh, th there's the, the point he made about being vigilant and getting feedback yep. from his customers. And we see this as a repetitive theme throughout our interviews uh, and our time talking with entrepreneurs outside the tank and outside of outside the tank within Growth 10. But the, the best and brightest marketers are looking for feedback. They're connected to their end user, and we think that is critical. My note was the entire product is based off of parent feedback, and they're really smart guys, but they leaned on parents. Yeah. You know, and that's what happens. So many entrepreneurs think they're smarter than anyone. Yep. They're smarter than uh, anyone that they could get mentor guidance from. They're smarter than their customers. Um, there is such an arrogance level among some entrepreneurs. And those are the ones that really struggle to grow unless every assumption and every gut feeling that they have is correct, which often doesn't happen. And it's so critical to say, hey, we're really smart. We created this product. Uh, we went to these big fancy schools. We have all these degrees and credentials, but who the hell cares? We need to go to our market, we need to go to our consumer and ask them, what do you like, what don't you like? Because you know, three Harvard-educated Harvard people may really like one color scheme, but if your customers hate it, who's right? Yep. Who do you care about? You want to make money or do you want to be right? Yeah, that input is so critical and you, you must seek it. The last thing I have is he mentioned that no one and nobody really has a, a, an entrepreneur really has a perfect gut feel. So we, we often say, trust your gut feel. And I believe it's important to trust your gut, but it may not be perfect. So you trust your gut and prove out that you're right or wrong. Be very open to any tweaks or pivots you need to make. Trust your gut until it's, if it's not, if it's perfect, great. If it's not perfect, make your tweaks, make your moves very, very quickly. Couple quick ones for you. Uh, he spent Thanksgiving inside a China production facility. It's a life of an entrepreneur. Yep. And if you feel like you never ever want to do that in your life, then probably don't sign up for this stuff because we all have versions of that. We've had them and we're going to have them again. Did they give him a turkey or turkey dinner? I don't know. <laughs> I, I doubt it. That's right. I don't know we, if I'd want it. I just want really, really good food that's that's native. We uh, we do things that others aren't willing to do. We, we travel the road less traveled. Uh, he went to CES, which obviously a big electronics conference, and uh, you know had some success there. And you just, you know, what he said was, you never know, you know, who's going to see you, but you're never going to be seen unless you put yourself out there. Trade show ads, 
marketing on LinkedIn, whatever it might be. You know, and that's the thing is sometimes I think entrepreneurs are like afraid or or resistant to, you know, cold call or to go to a conference or a trade show that they've never been to. Well, if you don't put yourself out there, then you're going to sit in your stupid little home office waiting for the phone to ring and they ain't going to ever ring. ring. No one's going to find out about it. We have to get over it. If you don't like self-promotion, you've got, as an entrepreneur, you've got to get over that. If you have a great product, the world deserves to know about it. If you don't have a great product, then go back to the drawing board. But if you're offering value to your customers, to your prospective customers, get out and talk to them. Well, that's why I laugh sometimes. You know, obviously, I do a lot of outreach to people I've never met on LinkedIn. And it's, oh, why are you doing cold outreach? Well, how in the hell else am I supposed to explain what we do and the value we provide to people like you if I don't reach out? So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Seriously, am I supposed to sit here like a moron with you know my hands uh, you know behind my back and just sitting here nodding my head waiting for someone to email me or call me? No, you reach out to people. This is what we do. This is our product. This is our service. This yeah. is our platform. What do you think? Oh, I think it's terrible. Go to hell. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Thank but, you for the feedback. <laughs> but, but, that, but that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. And if you're afraid to do that, if you're afraid to you know, interrupt someone's day to say, this is my product, this is my service, this is what I'm doing. If you're not willing to do that and you're not proud enough to be able to, you know, share that with the world, then you're not cut out for this. Go work for somebody else that is willing to do that. One of my sales managers in the insurance industry, Ron Martindale. Ron, I hope you're uh, watching or listening. He had the greatest personalized license plate ever. It said SWSWSWN. And he walked out and he was so proud. We got finished with a sales meeting. We walked out of the parking lot. He goes, look at my license plate. I bet you don't know what that acronym means. Well, you know I love acronyms. So I knew exactly what it meant. I said, some will, some won't. So what? Next. And that's just a great place to be as an entrepreneur. Yep. I got one more, and then we're three minutes late for a call, so we're ah. going to get on to our next part of our day. And that is that uh, his quote was, run the business on data. I love that. Yep. You know, don't and, and I, look, there's a time and a place for gut feel. There's a time and a place for different things. But I like to make data d- driven decisions, even if ultimately it's my gut that's looking at the data and making that determination. That's fine. But you don't want to wing it when you can obtain data from your customers, from your Facebook ads, uh, from people that didn't buy your product or people that returned your product or people that you used to do business with but no longer do. Get information, get data, get analytics. Don't guess. Don't guess (laughs) and don't wing it. So another great episode, great entrepreneur. We'll see you next week. New episode of Outside the Tank. 